We are going to embark on a journey for about the next four or five weeks on living life intentionally. Um, One of the things that um, I have observed is that uh, life just seems to be moving faster and faster and faster. And unfortunately, we're living in a society in which we're trying to figure out how to cope with it, and we're not doing that great a job. Uh, it's interesting, Time Magazine this week, or this month, actually put out a series of articles on happiness. Um, now, I'm not a fan of that word, uh, because I think happiness can depend on happenings. And I think there's a better concept um, that we're seeking, and just happiness tends to be the, the secular world's idea uh, of it. I think the Jewish people had it right. When the Jewish concept is what they would call shalom or peace. Um, and often when we think of peace, we think of peace as the absence of conflict. But the idea of shalom, the idea of peace went much, much bigger than, than just conflict. In, in the Jewish world, um, shalom is a way of greeting or a way of leaving someone and it meant well-being. It meant wholeness. It meant it had all of these concepts wrapped around it in the Jewish world. And so when you read your New Testament, often when Paul or, or Peter, whoever, when they write one of the New Testament books, one of the things that you see them saying is grace and peace to you. Um, and Jesus talks about peace. It's the idea of this wholeness, this completeness kind of thing in life. So when I talk about intentional living, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that Jewish ideal. Of, of, of a life of shalom, of a life of wholeness and fullness and contentment and, and peace and all of the things that get wrapped up into that. So let's go back to kind of what the Time Magazine article with happiness, even though they talk about it at happiness, some of the things that um, we, they observed um, as they pursued this thing. Uh, first of all, it's interesting, the word happiness actually has a, a root in it from the word hap, which is luck. Um, and so some people look at this whole happiness thing and say it's just kind of a lucky thing if you, if, if you can find it. Um, they find that, and the, the articles are based on a number of surveys and things like that, that a lot of it came out of Ohio State uh, University, but uh, they found that 30% of people uh, in America... Um, experience burnout, where they just come to an end, where life has become somewhat overwhelming to them. They found that 20% of Americans, less than 20% of Americans said they were happy. That means we have 80% of America who's unhappy. Well, I don't think that's a stretch um, from what I see. What I did find surprising was they said that 25% of Americans are too stressed to function. Where life has become to the point that they can't function in a normal way in the normal life. That's, that, that's the emotional toll that it's kind of taking on it. They ask people, what do you think makes you happy? That's what makes a lot of us happy right there. New little babies. Um, so, see, I got your attention now, don't I? Uh, 
I mean, what makes you happy? And what they found was when they talked to people, people said things like money. Um, they said things like uh, attainment, whether that be an achievement or good grades or whatever else. Um, status was something that people said made them happy. But the reality of it is when they peeled back the layer and they looked at the science of it, when they looked at they actually have ways to measure this. When they actually would do, have people take a test and then do these things and then take the test afterwards, um, here's what they found. Physically, sleep, exercise, and nutrition produced results as far as making people happier. When it came to mentally, they found that it was community, gratitude, mindfulness, and purpose. Uh, today, Matt, uh, today the show, the TV show today, uh, did an interesting had an interesting deal on this this week about kindness. And they did a study in which they said they had people go and do three random acts of kindness two times a week. So, in other words, you'd pick two days and and you'd do three random acts of kindness. What they found in this thing was that it. It literally physiologically changed them. That there were health benefits mentally, emotionally, physically to them just by doing simple little things like opening a door for somebody. Um, they found that, that it actually made an impact on the way people live. And, and, and one study uh, that they did with this, they, they had people do this for five weeks and they found that and it was a crazy number, it was something like 60%, 70% of the people, after the five weeks kept doing it because it made such a big difference in their life. Um, when they did this study at Time Magazine, they kind of conglomerated all of these ideas together, and here's what they found. They found that productive weekly happiness habits, in other words, these were things that when they looked at all the stuff that everybody was doing, these are some common things that they would find in all of the different people responding. They found that happy people tended to get seven plus hours of sleep a night. Um, they, a lot of them had a personal hobby. Um, they either experienced or played sports. They were like a big sports fan for teams or they played sports or they did something that way. They spent time in nature. They would meditate or they would pray. Uh, they spent time with friends outside of work. They had a support group or a therapist. And they would spend time with their family. They found that a lot of times when they started talking about fulfillment, happiness, this shalom ideal, all these kinds of things, that these were common things that kept showing up um, and people finding fulfillment from this thing that we call life. So the next five weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to try to pull out some ideas that I think and that I've observed and from stuff that I'm reading are kind of essential to this thing that we call life or shalom or peace or or. or, or things that I see us as a culture heading away from that we need to stop and turn back towards. But you have to understand what's happened. Some of you will remember this. This was July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon. 
this was a big deal when I was growing up. This was a huge deal. Um, I was at the age that we were fascinated by the whole, let's go to the moon and put a man on it. Um, I did model rockets growing up as part of that. Uh, What a lot of people don't know, so this is kind of one of those fun things that I like to read about. What a lot of people don't know is this. When we were descending in the lunar module to the moon in 1969, the computer processor that was there was based on, for those of you in the computer world, this will make sense to you, it was an 8086 processor. Your phone has more processing power than the, we did when we landed on the moon in 1969. Because it was so new, the calculations that it had to continually adjust to as it descended to the moon actually overwhelmed the system and the system crashed. We came very close to this becoming a disaster. And so they were able, though, at the last minute to get it rebooted so they can make the proper calculations for this thing to land on the moon. What I see happening right now in our culture is that's exactly what's happening to a lot of people today. There is so much stress and there's so much pressure and there's so many things in life and we're having to adapt so fast to so many different things that we're incapable of processing it and we have people starting to collapse under the weight of it and shutting down. Um, we know right now we work two and a half, we, we work on two and a half less hours of sleep than people did a hundred years ago. Um, we work longer than people in previous generations. We already know. You know, we've made this shift for a lot of people to work from home. We already know that people who work from home actually spend more time and put in more hours than people who went to work. Uh, it's been fascinating. We've, we've started to figure some of that out. So now companies are going, sure, you can work from home. I'll get more hours out of you. Um, we have become far more complicated. They estimate that you and I will spend eight months of our life opening junk mail or email. Eight months. That's a lot of time. Uh, That's a lot of time. I think one of the things that happened was COVID taught us some really good lessons, and we forgot them all. You, You go back. You remember what happened with COVID? And everybody talking about, oh, we're going to do family night. Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to do this. And, yeah, it's been hard, but we've been spending more time together. And we've been spending, my wife and I have been talking more. And we've, and, and we've had to scale back our activities. And we're not running as fast as we were. Fast forward two-plus years past the thing, we're right back to where we were. Some of you are running just as hard as you are, were before COVID. Your schedule is just as hectic. It's just as full. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. So what we want to do, so we don't keep making the same mistakes over, we want to talk about some of this stuff. So we're going to run through some Bible principles, some Bible ideas, and then we're going to get into some application on on, on where I want to go this morning. What you need to understand is that um, when God created you, God created you and me with limits. Uh, He limited certain things about you. You cannot exceed those limits. Um, When you start to exceed those limits, 
you either hurt yourself or others. Physically, you can only lift so much. There are physical limits as to how much you can lift. You know as well as I do. As you get older, most of the time that doesn't increase, it decreases. So you try to lift what you did when you were 20 years ago, and it's not quite the same. And it definitely doesn't have the same impact on you. You know, emotionally, we actually have emotional limits on how many people we can carry in our lives. Um, Here's what they tell us. Emotionally, you can only carry between 10 and 15 people in your life. Over 15 people, you start what we call emotional overload. Um, You can only have close, super close relationships with 5 to 10 people. Um, By the way, this is the dynamic, it was interesting, but this is the dynamic of small communities. Small communities get this idea that, or outsiders get this idea of, oh, that I can never get accepted in the small community. They They don't like outsiders. It's not about outsiders. Here's the thing. They've already maxed out their relationship. And in order for you to come in and be part of their community, they're going to have to cut somebody out. And they're not really going to cut somebody out. So you just stand in line until somebody dies. The way it works. Um, it's not that they're clickish, it's just they've reached their emotional capacity for handling people. Um, they say that the maximum connections that you can have is somewhere between 20 and 190 connections. The average brain can only handle 150 relationships uh, and connections by that. Uh, with that way. That's, by the way, it's why. Um, we found, believe it or not, we found one of the optimal sizes for churches seems to be 150. Think about it for a second. Look at the life of Jesus. He had 12 disciples. Three that he was extremely close to. Um, so we, we know that emotionally we can only handle so much regarding people. We know that mentally there are limits as well. The optimal number happens to be seven, by the way. That's the reason when they came up with the phone system, they came up with seven numbers, three and four. Uh, actually, nine starts to push, and you start making more mistakes. For those of you who are computer people, um, I used to do DOS, used to teach DOS, and you know that DOS was limited on the number of characters? Why? Because we know that mentally we make less mistakes with eight characters, which is 5.3, um, than we do with 9 or 10 or 15 or 20 that, you know, now there's no limit on most of them. So what happens is we all have limits, and you've got to recognize that. You've got to recognize you are limited in certain things, and that's okay. That's the way you were created and designed. You also have to realize that life is going to bring about itself a normal amount of problems. Listen to what Proverbs says. The prudent, that's smart, wise, see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. The wise person sits down and starts figuring out, you know what? There's going to be certain elements of life that are going to be hard, and I'm going to prepare for them. I'm going to understand those are going to be tough times. I'm going to get my my resources ready so I can handle those tough times. The simple... 
just keep adding to their schedule and adding more and more and more and more and more and more and more. They don't even see the danger. They just keep plugging away. And they just keep putting more and more stuff on it. Then all of a sudden, when they get to overload and they collapse, then all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't understand why this happened. Wise versus simple. One of the things that you have to understand is that there's going to be certain pressures. There are going to be certain seasons in life. They're going to be more difficult, so you get ready for them. I mean, look, we're heading into a really tough time economically as a nation. There are two groups of people. There's a group of people who are seeing this coming and who are making, who are being wise about how they handle their finances. And there's another group of people that are going out going, oh, free credit? Sure. Sign me up. Max it out. They'll pay the penalty. And it'll be in finance charges and everything else and bankruptcy and all that comes with that. Why? Because you're not being wise about it. Um, Luke 14. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Don't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you've got enough money to complete it? This is Jesus speaking. He's saying, look, what happens is if you're going to build something, you know how this goes. You go, I have this pile of cash. I have this project. Is this going to cover this? And if this doesn't cover this, you don't build it. Or if this doesn't cover this, then you make adjustments to this. Some of you are HGTV, Magnolia Farm. You know, those people are like gods anymore. Um, you know, oh, we're making the Mecca trip to Magnolia Farms. Um, uh, we watch it. Okay, so I get it. I get it. Um, I may go down there one day. But anyway, you know, I, I get it. But if you've watched those shows, you know what happens. They come in and they sit down with these people and say, okay, we'll do this project for X number of dollars. And then something comes up. And what do they do? They call them back and go, hey, look, we ran into this unexpected problem. It's going to be another $3,000. Can we increase the budget? Can we increase the money to take from? And they go, sure. Or they go, no, we don't. We don't. We can't increase the budget. So then the next question they ask them is what? So what are you going to take away? Okay, so let's not do, let's not do the quartz countertops. Let's do the marble, whatever. I don't know, whichever one's cheaper. They're both expensive. So, you know, which one are we going to do? So we're going to do that one instead of that one. We can save the $3,000 and put it towards that. It's a simple principle, but what do they do? They take away from here in order to have that money cover this money. You know what I see people doing with life? Sure, yes, we'll add to that. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. Not realizing that pile is getting empty. That physical, emotional energy that it's going to take to do what you have committed yourself to is getting lower. In other words, here's the, here's the principle. If I'm going to add something, I take something away if my plate is full. I don't keep going back to the buffet and just piling it up. Now, I'm not saying when you go to the buffet, you need to put stuff back and then take, don't go doing that. But you understand what I'm saying. In other words, you've got to sit back and you've got to go, okay, 
And here's the problem. Most of us, we have a problem saying no. Oh, oh, I thought I put that in there. Um, We have a problem saying no because we don't know what we say yes to. I learned this a long time ago. It's really easy for me to say no to you if I know what I'm saying yes to. And if I have to tell you no, I can't do that because my yes is my wife and I have an evening planned. It's really easy for me to say no. But most of you, you don't know what you're saying. You don't, you don't have, you're not being driven by your priorities. You're not being driven by your focus. You're being driven by the urgent. And so you just say yes, 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 yes. And your plate's so full, you get all burned out. And then you're wondering what's going on. What happened? This is what he's talking about. He's saying, look, when, you, when, you, when you're going to build something, you sit down and figure out what the cost is before you say yes to it. And when you say no, you know what you have been saying yes to. Does that make sense? Because I think we're forgetting this. Listen to what Paul did. Listen to what Paul said. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, stress, far beyond our ability to endure it. We despaired even of life itself. Paul said we almost became suicidal. The pressure was that great. Ultimately, the whole passage, what he says is, you need to understand, God took care of us. We didn't share it with you, but we were under incredible pressure and stress. And God, because we had reached our limits, God had to step in and do something. One of the things that you learn about maxing out your, your level, whatever it is, burnout, is you've got to depend on God and not yourself. And see, we're, we're going to talk about that because this will be one of the principles, but... One of the principles we're going to talk about is this idea that you're not in control. It's an illusion. You just think you are, and you keep trying to control stuff, and you keep thinking that by controlling it, you can manage it. And it doesn't work like that. And God has a way of bringing us back to reality often with things like this. So with that in mind, how does this work out for us this week? What's the the idea? Um, And basically... The principle is simply this. You have to learn to put margin in your life. And some of you right now are trying to live life with no margins, with no space, with no buffer. And you will eventually pay the price for that. It is a fundamental principle of life. That you and I have to have margin. We have to have space. Space margin defined as this way. It's the space between your loads and your limits. It's the idea of what are you really capable of as a human being, and what is it that's being put upon you, and how does that all balance out? And is there space between those two things? Some of you sitting here this morning saying, okay, so you're here telling me I need to, Put another thing in my life. You are the very person I'm talking to. I don't have any room. You are the very person I'm talking to. The fact that you make that statement should tell you your life is at its limit. The fact that you have no margin to add things or take things away. And so I'm asking you this morning... I want you to add this into your life, but it means you're going to have to get rid of something. 
And you may even have to get rid of some good things for some better things, space and margin. Um, I, I, again, I racked my brain trying to think how to illustrate this. So here's, here's my illustration. If you were to look at my message notes just now, here's how it looks on my paper. Okay? Notice I have my three groupings of ideas. I have it. I have a tabbed over. I have spaces in there. So if I wanted to add something into the, my notes, it's a simple hit the return paragraph, add a line. It's simple, right? This is the exact same thing with no margins and no spaces. Now, let's say I want to go change it. Now, can I change it? Yes. Is it a whole lot more difficult? You bet. Why? There are no spaces and no margins. So now you got to spend time finding out where is it? Okay. Okay. Can I squeeze it in right here? Okay. How, how, here, you send out text messages this week with no spaces or margins. You send your boss an email with no spaces and no margins this week. We don't, we don't send anything without spaces and margins, but yet we will live our lives like this with no spaces and no margins, and then go, I don't understand why everything is so complicated. I don't understand why my life is so hard. I don't understand why I don't have a breather. This is why. This is why. You can't, you can't live life like that. And this is why some of you are so frustrated right now. You are... You are so burned out because you've got so many things on your plate. Some of you are sitting here this morning thinking about everything you got going on this week. That ought to tell you you don't have enough space and margin. So this is a huge life principle for us. And I know it's a simple illustration, thing, but you need to understand when you start putting space and margin in your life, now all of a sudden, guess what happened? Now when something comes up, it's easy to adjust. Why? Because it doesn't look like that. It looks like this. You have now the ability to move things around. You have peace, shalom, if you will. Why? It's a whole lot easier to add something in here than it is the other thing. You can enjoy relationship. Have you thought about this? (laughs) Even a race car takes a pit stop. Can you imagine calling in saying, okay, look, we've got to change your tires. We're going to do it on turn three at 200 miles an hour. We're going to jump out there and get your tire. You go, That's insane. Nobody would try to do that. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to run through life and then go, oh, okay, I'll put margin in. I can squeeze it in right here so I can run to the next thing. And we're trying to, it's like trying to change tires in the middle of a race while you're racing. Without taking a pit stop. Nobody does that. Listen to this passage. This is the most convincing, convicting to me as a pastor right here. As for you, brothers and sisters, don't tire of doing good. As a pastor, you know how many pastors get burned out? And I had to learn a long time ago, 
that this ministry thing is a marathon, not a sprint. If you want to make it for the long haul, you better figure some of this stuff out. And you better figure out how to build margin into your life. And if you're like me, what's happened is life is becoming faster and faster and faster. There's more and more and more and more stuff. There's more and more and more opportunity. Everything wants to get put onto your plate. And if you don't have the margin, if you don't have the space, you can't be responsive to what God wants you to do. And you get tired even of doing good. Before you know it, you're dragging your carcass to church. I'm glad your carcass is here. But you know what? We ought to be able to enjoy being able to do it. So here's the thing. You, you have got to figure out how to put some margin back in your life this week. You've got to be able to get rid of some stuff so you can put some space in there. Um, here, I wish John was here. He could understand this better than me. When you're traveling down the road at 70 mile an hour, 55, I don't know, what's this one at? This thing's 55 mile an hour. This is how long it takes you to stop. Notice there's a couple of factors. A, what size vehicle you're driving. And I was surprised to find this out. I didn't know. The stopping distance between brakes that are hot and brakes that are cold are different. Now, it makes sense to me, but I didn't realize that. Um, Why? Here's what's interesting. The bigger the vehicle, the heavier the load, the more time you've got to put in being able to stop. The more space you have to have. Now, why is it that you will get in a vehicle and understand this, but you won't in your life? Why is it that you keep adding more and more and more, and there's little and littler and littler and littler space? Why do we do that? It's not even common sense. And yet, this is the way we do it. And then we wonder why we're burned out. We wonder why we're not enjoying life. We wonder why we're running at this crazy pace. And we just keep adding more and more and more and more. And there's no margin. There's no space in it. My wife and I have really started to see the value of some of this. We have this joke at the end of the day. Um, She takes 10 minutes to just unwind. Just sit quietly. In the dark even. For 10 minutes. I looked at her and said, why not 15 and she's like, 10 minutes is what I need. It's been, I take 15. I, I need more than she does. Um, just quiet. It is amazing. No agenda. Just relax. Um, putting the space, putting the margin back into life. Um, you know, I've always said this. In, in my world, um, 10 minutes early. Is five minutes late. I try to put margin in. Um, I'm usually here on Sunday morning at 7 o'clock. I get everything done in less than an hour, get all ready for today. Last year, or last week, I was going over stuff, and all of a sudden I realized 
I had uploaded the wrong video for Sunday school. Thought I'll just run home and get it. I'm six miles away. I've got plenty of margin. I've got an hour of just chill time that I wasn't planning on, so I went home, got it, came back, loaded it up. Why? There was margin built into Sunday morning. Um, And again, you have to sit and figure out what's important to you. For me, the most important thing on Sunday morning is being ready for this. So I want to put more margin in there so that that can happen. Look, God modeled this for us. Okay, I don't know if you've thought about this for a second, but just just hang in there with me. Right now. I don't want to get too silly, but I want to make the statement. God created the world in how many days? Six. six days. He creates the world in six days. He creates the world by doing what? Speaking. So I want you to follow this now. Day one. Let there be light. What comes on day two? Huh? Sky and sea. Oh, day two. Sky, sea. Why didn't he go, I mean, it's a far more, those of you in, in, in leadership, isn't it a far more effective leadership principle to go, okay, light, sky, sea, boom, 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 we're done. Why does God take an entire day after speaking a couple of words? Space. March. And then, at the end of six days of doing this exhaustive work, He goes, let's just rest and enjoy it. Call it Sabbath. Creation starts with this very idea of space and margin. Now, if God, the sovereign of the entire thing, did it that way, why do we think it's so much more efficient to just run 100 mile an hour, 50 different directions with no space and no margin, and then wonder why we can't get it all done. Jesus. Jesus comes to this planet, God in the flesh, walking among us, showing us how to live. You know what's amazing to me? He's got the most important mission in all the world, dying on the cross for our sin. He's got an important message to share that with the entire world. He's healing people. He's helping people. He's doing everything else. But you know what you find? Notice how many times he goes apart. In fact, I think, this is just my own little theory with it, okay? Most of the time you find Jesus doing one of two things. He goes up to the mountain, or he goes out onto a boat. There's practical reason for that, because everywhere that he went, people followed him. So if he goes up in the mountain, it's harder for everybody to keep following There's only a certain amount of people that are mountain people. 
If he goes out on the boat, the only way they can get to him is by going to jumping in boats and following him. By the way, when you read the text, in some of those stories, when Jesus is in the boat, he's going from this side to that side. Literally, the people are walking around the lake to see where his boat's going to land so that when they land, he's there with them. I personally think it got to the point in Jesus' ministry that the mountain and the boat, he finally just said, you know, I'm going to start walking on the water because nobody can mess with me there. <laughs> and even then, what happens? Peter goes, hey, I want to come out there and join you. He's like, okay, so much for my quiet time. Come on, Peter. We'll use it as a lesson here. And again, why? Because you find even Jesus himself, what, look at what happens before Calvary, before the cross. He's going apart to pray. The more stress he gets under, the more time he pulls and puts that space and that margin in. Now that, that's what Jesus does. Why do we think we don't need it? Why do we think we can keep running and running and running and running? And so what happens is we, and, and we, we're not smart about what we're choosing. We're just letting, the, as, as one writer said, the tyranny of the urgent. We get up and we go, what's urgent today? What do I have to get done? What do I have to get on my checklist? We're not driven by what's important. Those of you who are older will appreciate this. Right or wrong, how many times do we come to the end of our journey with all of the regrets because we spent so much of our time doing that which was urgent, not that which is important? By the way, that's why I think Grandparents enjoy kids more than parents enjoy kids. You think about, I look back at my parenting and I think about all the things that I made a big deal of. Now I look at my grandkids and I'm like, eh, it ain't that big a deal. We're not even going to have that battle. It's not worth that battle. You get a different perspective then. Why? Because now you see what's really important. Is it really important? That that Lego thing that we've built looks exactly like the thing instead of the fact that uh, Claire and I, Claire and I have been doing Legos together um, when we get the chance. And, and she did a King Tut thing. Um, is it really important that she made Tut out of different colored Legos than I would have? Now, it pushes my OCD over the edge, but it's not that important. Why? You have a different perspective. And I just want to challenge you here because I think what happens so often in life is one of the essentials that we have got to understand is this idea of margin and space is so important, particularly so that God can work. And you know as well as I do, God's been prompting your heart about doing something. You know what? You need to call so-and-so. You need to go out to lunch with them. You need to go out to, to do this. You, you need to, God's been prompting your heart, but you have no space of margin, so you can't, you're not doing it. You haven't been able to do it. Why? Because it's not urgent enough yet. They call you and say, hey, look, I want you to know, they just went in the hospital. They're not expected to make it in the next 24 hours. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you'll be there. You'll clear your schedule. Why? Now all of a sudden it's urgent. Instead of what's important. 
It's important to do it now while you can talk to them, while you can spend that time with them. God's prompting your heart for a reason. But if you have no space and no margin, you can't let God work like God wants to work. And, and that, this is so important. This is so essential to this thing that we call life. And I just want to challenge you. You're sitting there going, man, I just don't know how I can do it. I don't know how I can do it. I don't know how you can do it either. But I know this. If you keep going the way you're going, you're going to crash. I say it this way. Either you put margin in or God will. And he's not going to do it because he's mad at you. He's going to do it because he loves you and he knows this is not a long-term way to live. And I just want to challenge you with this idea because I think some of us, we're to the point, we're not even enjoying life. We're just getting through it. Some of you have got, you've got rooms and additions you put on your house you're not even enjoying. You've got hobbies or things like that. You don't have any time to even participate in it because you're running in so many different directions. Um, you know, I think back to this building, two things we did in that building and in this building that are some might, we had a lot of great memories building these things. But one of my favorite memories is at the, the, the night before we had our first service in this building and that building, some of us came in here and did nothing but sit. And just appreciate what God had been able to do. It wouldn't have been anything fancy. Just, you know, I'll never forget. I'll never forget the Sunday we met in that building for the first time. The day before I walked in that morning, Saturday morning, I'm like, oh, man. I have a picture of this thing. It looked like a bomb had gone off. Like, how in the world are we going to have a service in here? We worked like banshees. We got it all cleaned up. We got it all ready for the service. I remember at the end of the time, we just sat. Thought, it's amazing what God's done. It's amazing. God did this in creation. Jesus models this. It's probably an important thing for us to do as well. So I end this way with this morning with this. May God help you to understand your limits. It's my prayer that you put margin back in your life this week. Make the space you need to prune out areas that aren't helpful. To say no to some things that are urgent but not necessarily important. Learn to trust and appreciate God this week. Put some margin back in. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, we're in this world in which we run faster and faster and faster. We're getting less and less accomplished. We're getting more and more burned out. We, we have fewer and fewer opportunities to let you use us because we're running in so many directions so fast that we're running from one thing to the next. So, Lord, help us to put you back in control. Help us to place the margins in our lives so that we can allow you to work in our hearts and lives. Lord, help us to be more selective in what we say yes and no to. And, Lord, may we not be driven by that which is urgent this week, but by that which is important. So use us. And um, help us to live life, Lord, intentionally. This week, these things we ask in your name. Amen.